This is a pet peeve of mine. People say all the time, well, I don't do marketing because I don't like to be salesy or selly, sell, sell, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, if you don't like to be salesy, then just do your marketing non-salesy. Right. <laughs> it's kind of like the most obvious thing, you know? Uh, it, you know, if you don't like to be salesy, then stop creating social posts that come off as self-promoting salesy and, you know, are look like spam. Don't, yep. you know, pump out your products and services and try and shove them down people's throats. Of course, that comes off as annoying. But people say, oh, marketing's annoying. No, you're annoying. <laughs> it's not marketing. <laughs> marketing can also be beautiful and helpful and engaging and be of service. Hi, everyone. This is David Paul. On this episode, I'm talking with Priscilla McKinney, CEO of Little Bird Marketing and host of the podcast Ponderings from the Perch. In addition to being a world-class marketer and cultural anthropologist, Priscilla has carved out a niche for Little Bird Marketing in helping market research companies reach their full potential. In this conversation, Priscilla and I discuss the significance of defining and understanding your client's persona, how to ensure your content marketing goes from broadcasting to engaging, the importance of having a clearly defined process behind everything you do, the value of learning from your own mistakes, where Priscilla draws an example from her own experience, and a lot more. Priscilla is as genuine and practical as they come, and I learned a ton from talking with her. Let's listen. Hey, Priscilla, thanks so much for joining us today. David, this is going to be so fun. Rarely do podcasters get to be with podcasters, so we're already up at the pro level. So for those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about your background and what you have going on. Yeah, well, I've had the privilege of working in the last several years in the market research industry, but I have a digital lead generation uh, marketing firm. And for the past 10 years, we have really honed in on our expertise about how people really target their most ideal client and create as build a strategy completely around the, their purpose, <laughs> who they serve, who they serve well, and how they can engage with them on just a very deep, uh, a very deep and very profitable level. And along my journey, I've been privileged to get to have a, an insider's view now into market research. But I my background, originally is cultural anthropology. So by the time I had all my marketing expertise and I was dumped into the market research uh, uh, industry, I was like, yeah, these are my people. This is cool. So now about 40% of the clients that we have are related in some way to market research um, here at Little Bird Marketing. And then I'm also the owner of uh, Clear Marketing, which we uh, acquired this year. And that's really more of a, a B2C house. But here at Little Bird Every day, day in and day out, we're concerned with how do we create sustainable systems for firm lead generation for our clients. Yeah, well, uh, lead gen is a great mission, I and mean, that's that's the top of the funnel. And uh, not only is it what's so critically important, but it's what a lot of, uh, especially B two B firms, tend to struggle with, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, it's that kind of sales yelling at marketing, marketing yelling at sales conundrum that we're in, and it's really about you know putting those two things together, and uh, and and then even if someone some companies put it together, sometimes they put it together without having done strategy first. So there really has to be that underlying strategy. And then you can start bringing departments in together to really, you know, move the needle in profit. Yeah, absolutely. And how did you how, how did you end up landing so much of your work in the market research space? Well, you guys have been just really gracious to me and just keep asking me. <laughs> but I was asked first to speak at a Green Book event. 
And um, I, you know, I didn't know who Green Book was at the time. And ever since then, I just keep getting asked back. I get great reviews as a speaker. So that's, that's really, really kind. Um, but I think part of that is because I'm very practical. I'm very to the point. And um, I very much want people to understand the difference of just walking out and bragging and just talking about our company does this. We're so great. We're a special snowflake. We're, you know, and, and instead helping steer people to understand how do you serve someone? How do you engage someone? How do you, how do you become that company, that service that everybody's attracted to? And I think those, those words I spoke at the beginning, that's really where I come from in marketing my expertise once I started speaking those words into the market research uh, uh, industry, the reality is they were all very hungry for that truth. And they have really appreciated a refreshing view of it. I have a pretty no-nonsense approach to marketing and strategy. And along the way, of course, we make it fun. And I think anytime you can be truly engaging, be truly personal, it does become fun. For sure. So, I mean, use the word attraction, which I love, but don't hear nearly as often as I'd like to um, <laughs> in this space. So let's talk a little bit about your philosophy around especially in B2B, which are most of the listeners of this podcast, your mm -hmm. philosophy around attracting companies to what it is that you have to offer and, and putting together that strategy and that system, where, where does it all begin? Well, I liken a lot of what I have to say about what we know about cocktail parties. You know, in our own personal lives, we know that you go into a cocktail party and you don't walk in and start, you know, yelling, I'm the greatest, I'm so amazing, this is how special I am, and these are all the things I know how to do, and this is how long I've been doing them, let me tell you about my birth date, and, and hey, by the way, does anyone want to go home with me tonight? But this is what is so interesting. We know not to do that socially. We know not to do that in our own personal lives. But yet that is exactly what we do when we think we are doing, quote unquote, marketing. We mm -hmm. come into the office and be like, we got to go out and tell everybody what we do. We need to make sure they know our features. We know they've been our benefits. We know this is what we do. This is how long we've been in business. This is, you know, these are the awards what we've gotten. And hey, why, you know, here's a call to action in your face. Like I just connected with you on LinkedIn and here's the things that I, I do. Can you ask me in and can we meet this Thursday? <laughs> I'm, I'm, exha I'm exhausted just listening to that. It sounds Seriously, terrible. aren't you? And that's what we need. We need people to be exhausted and being sick and tired of that. And then they need to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that's when we can make a shift in marketing and actually move towards concepts of attraction. And you're right. I love that word attraction, because if we liken that also to cocktail parties, who do you, you know, who are you attracted to in that cocktail party? The person over in the corner, you know, who, you know, who knows their stuff, you walk up and the first thing they do is they ask about you mm. because you know what people like to talk about themselves yep. <laughs> and that's a part of attraction. And then, you know, we want that person to do a couple of things. We want them to be a, a great uh, um, asker. <laughs> you know, we want them to be a great listener. And we also want them to be a great helper. You present some kind of a problem. We don't want them to rush in and solve, solve, solve. But we want people to say, oh, well, had you considered this? Or, oh, that is so interesting. I know Bob over here, and he can solve that problem for you. Or maybe he can't solve it. Maybe, you know, I know Bob, and he's very good at asking other questions. Let me go get him. And let's see if the three of us can figure out. All of a sudden now, 
instead of being just exhausted and kind of offended, now I'm like, wow, I'm attracted and I am grateful. And this is the root of engagement. And so I know that, you know, somebody at the head of a marketing firm much larger than mine might have made it more complicated than that. But marketing, you know, and attraction is truly that simple. It's following the rules that we all know, you know, to be true in society and bringing those in, you know, and but then bringing them into a process so that we don't miss all the opportunities. But the underlying, you know, mindset has to be how can I serve? How can I attract? How can I engage? And you mentioned how bigger firms especially can tend to make things more complicated. And I think very often that's also a way to justify their existence and, and mm-hmm. try to wrap, you know, wrap everything that they do up into something really big and complex. But <laughs> at the end of the day, simple wins. And, mm-hmm. and simple doesn't mean easy. Those no. are very different <laughs> things. But, but simple absolutely wins, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, we have a system here, our IP of how we go about doing everything is called SOAR. And, you know, I bring it up just to tell you this, no matter what you do, you choose our system or choose something else. Here's the, here's what you can take today and understand from it. Whatever you do, make Mm -hmm. sure it's S, it's strategic. Make sure it's O, it's organized. Make sure A, it's accountable. Every action that you do has to be accountable to the S and the O. And then R, then repeat. So get the re- repetition in the right order. I feel like people, a lot of them come out the gate and like, let's do this, let's do this, worked in the past, let's do this. Whoa, 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 whoa. So <laughs> it doesn't matter. Take little bird marketing off the table. Just yeah. think today about, you know, what could win for your marketing strategy. Get strategic, get organized, get accountable, and then get repeatable. Yeah, well, I think that's that's a great way to think about it. Can you take us through a little bit of how you take your own medicine when you're developing your marketing strategy for Little Bird and you're deploying something new, let's say, or something that you've tried recently? Um, <laughs> what's the process that you go through and what types of things do you find in the end tend to be most effective versus where you'll look back and say, yeah, that didn't work. And frankly, we probably should have known better. <laughs> I love it. Well, first of all, I will say we treat Little Bird Marketing as one of our clients. So to my employees, I am one of their clients. Mm-hmm. And we use the exact same project management board. We use the exact same sources. And we do not take shortcuts on our own marketing. So much so that when someone says, hey, I have a great idea, blah, blah, blah. And someone will sit back, you know, it, we're a bunch of creatives. Of course, we, we, we always have great ideas. And mm-hmm. then someone's like, oh, great. You know, that, that's a great idea. Okay, everybody take a deep breath. So how is that accountable to our strategy? And, and how are we going to organize that? And, you know, and, the, and then we're off to the races. And everybody mm-hmm. makes us, you know, take our own medicine. I like the way you put it that way. So first of all, we are on our project management board with due dates, with faces, with, you know, on our project management board, we keep to our structure. We write the blogs that we say we're going to write. We use the content we say we're going to write. So let me tell you about a failure that I think really more depicts what needs to be done and why I think it's so important for us, you know, to be taking our own medicine. Because you look at a lot of marketing companies and they don't take their own medicine and they don't do marketing for themselves well. And I think that's a real travesty. Mm -hmm. So, The first thing I'll say about that is, well, I guess the first thing I said was that we treat ourselves like it, but the next thing was a failure that we had that really made it crystal clear to me. We had, um, this is about two years ago, we had 
uh, you know, a couple of clients that, man, we were so excited about. They did, we connected. I felt as the owner to owner, we connected. I knew they needed us. I knew what we had to offer was so invaluable. And things went poorly. And in fact, we had two or three that went poorly, you know, uh, and we could not figure out why this is, you know, and, and so we had a lot of discussions around this. We had a lot of frustration. Of course, it, it's easy to go to blame the client and say, well, they didn't get back to us with this. They don't do this. Why don't they don't value this? They don't understand how long this date, whatever, whatever it is that you think that you're so special and, and why it's not working. But I pulled the team together. I'm like, no, we are going to solve this. You don't have it happen twice. You don't have it happen three times unless there is something absolutely wrong in our strategy. And oh my goodness, we just took ourselves all the way to the, to the front of our strategy and redid it. And this is what was so telling. We had the wrong persona in mind. And I mean, for me to say that mm. to you on a podcast, we are absolutely 100% known as a leading agency in persona development. Mm -hmm. So the irony of this was just not lost on me. And the big lesson that I've learned there is that when we were a smaller company, our target ideal client was the CEO. We are not playing at that level anymore. We actually do not want to be working with the CEO, founder, or owner. We identified in that that our systems now are much larger, our, our solutions are much more robust, and we should not be working with the CEO on a regular basis. They may make the decision you know, to hire us, to pay us, they may, you know, it's their money, but we should not be either marketing to or solving with the actual CEO. And so we realized through the whole process, we developed another persona into, you know, to add a, you know, an arrow to our quiver. And it is what we call C-suite Stacy. She's very loyal. Mm -hmm. She's very connected to the company. She feels like the company's success is her company, her company, her own personal success. And so she cares very deeply but she does not have that subjective, you know, um, cradling of the baby that is the company. <laughs> and so she can think objectively about what needs to be done. And she also is a connector. She can bring people together and help us really find solutions. So the big lesson for me is that, you know, it, absolutely, number one, the biggest piece of strategy is to have done your buyer persona and know who you're selling to, but also remember that as your company grows, as your competency grows, as your solutions grow, so sometimes does your perfect ideal audience. And so you must revisit this on a normal, uh, on a normal schedule to ask yourselves again, are we really writing to the right person? Are we putting our absolute best content out there in order to solve either emerging or persisting problems for this person? I think that's amazing advice and personas are so, so very important. I remember when I heard you speak at IIEX, you talked about personas and even the process that you go through for developing those personas. And it sounds like you you uh, take that medicine internally and do that for yourselves as well as the way you advise and coach your clients to do it. For sure. And it's not, it's never perfect. It's always uh, evolving. And in fact, so much so now that I have that calendarized because I learned you have mm -hmm. to change. You have to change as your company grows and changes, then also your end client changes. And I think, you know, we, we can conceive of that with, with products, um, you know, like, okay, this, this product change, you know, you'll have some products out there that, 
you know, where someone might have an application and they use it, it's your, your audience as an old person. And then, of course, then Gen Z's come up and they're like, oh, yeah, we buy these things and we use them this way, you know, and they've morphed the way that they use, you know, something you've taken to market. Um, it's kind of like Hush Puppies. Do you remember at the beginning of the Tipping Point uh, book from Malcolm Gladwell? Yep. He talked about how, you know, the Tipping Point, how Hush Puppies had a huge resurgence. That is probably the best example of what happens sometimes. So Hush Puppies, all the ads are, you know, geared towards very sensible people and older people. And people are buying shoes that should last for children who need to be in lasting shoes. You know, this is their persona. And all of a sudden, no, it's clubbers. <laughs> you know? right. And they're forced to really evaluate why did we have an ups you know upsurge in in our you know brand and product and now we have an entirely different ideal persona and that's where the research comes so heavily into play as well is not just hypothesizing what do we think the persona is we have to go after but really properly researching and understanding what is the makeup of this particular type of person and mm -hmm. and how elastic and nimble do we have to be with it in order to have it you know fit into the market so that we don't have to reinvent the wheel mm -hmm. with every client right right for sure and to take this a step further i also see when i really see what problems you know companies are having with their marketing and with their sales at the very bottom of it, I see that they don't have proper persona work done. Um, and some of the symptoms that I see out there, like for example, when someone comes to me and then they admit that they have someone running social media who is either an intern, someone's niece, you know, um, or you know, is the lowest person on the totem pole in the office. And I just think, oh, that's because you have not done persona work. You don't really respect people's time. You don't really respect who it is that you're engaging with, you know, or when I start hearing or seeing things or doing strategy, where I realize that they're really actually have been ghosting people who are engaging with them, <laughs> you know, um, or they do this, they don't know what's been working. And it's what we call here post and pray. <laughs> you know? right. I love that. We'll put this post out there and just, you know, pray that, you know, a big following happens. And, you know, this, this kind of thing, um, or they build things or create products or, you know, and whether it's a website or, or it's a product or a service, oh, this is the new package. And they build it and say, well, if we build it, they'll come. You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> Just like all of these things to me that I hear that are real problems that we solve in the market, they're all things that in the end show me that the very bottom of all marketing strategy and sales strategy is not been, uh, has not been catered around the ideal client persona and around their real needs, wants, desires, emerging or persisting problems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you said something that I'm really interested in getting your further take on regarding post and pray and, and the fact that <laughs> social media is often just handled as a, oh, anyone, you know, anyone can post to Twitter, anyone can throw up a Facebook post. I often find, more than often, I almost always find that the, the notions of content marketing and social media tend to just get thrown into a blender together and mashed mm -hmm. up this, this one thing. Well, we, we, you know, we create content and we put it up on social media and they go hand in hand. But I think, I'm sure you agree and I'd love to hear the way you, you talk about it, the notion of a content marketing strategy and then separately, what's your social media strategy and how do you use those channels are really mm -hmm. two different things. What's your 
What's your perspective on that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, these these are big deals. And, you know, Dave, you, you, you work so much in the whole concept of engaging and engagement. So we have to always keep that as the banner that is flying up there, right? Because we're not in the business of broadcasting. We're in the business of engagement. Mm-hmm. So what I find is that people, when they come to us, they are stuck somewhere. Some of them are stuck at the very beginning, meaning they're like, yeah, we just haven't tackled it. We think we're too late to the party. We don't even have a blog. We don't even, you know, (laughs) so some people are stuck at the beginning. We don't know what to do. But I think what is more often and which is actually very interesting and actually very difficult to untangle are the people who are stuck in the middle. They are busy creating content. They're busy posting. They are busy you know, creating the next webinar, whatever it is, they are, they are making lists and checking it off, Mm -hmm. but nothing is working and Mm -hmm. nothing is moving. And so they turn around and say, social media doesn't work. Content marketing doesn't work. You know, lead generation doesn't work, whatever it is. Webinars don't work. I don't care. Insert whatever it is. It's not that those things don't work. Some of them may be appropriate for your business and some may not be appropriate based on what we're trying to do. It's not that those don't work. It's that there's no underlying strategy or unifying maybe, you know, mindsets around why we're doing what we're doing. And that's why I kind of come back to your banner, which is, it has the words engagement across it. Mm -hmm. So we, we have to remind ourselves, and I know it sounds simple, but I know that when I'm, when I'm saying something simple, I know I'm onto something. It's not about getting shit done when it comes to content and social. It's about getting meaningful and engaging shit done. I know that, you know, we are a production house. We, we do get things out the door. And so we joke around, like, hey, get shit done. That's great. But we have to always remember that the most dangerous thing that we could be doing is just getting it done and checking off the list and going through the motions. It absolutely has to be humanizing it. Even to the point, I find it totally ironic. Even when we use chatbots, the only reason we are using chatbots is to try and humanize the process, which I know it's an irony, (laughs) but it's not, you know, people come to us and they want to like, well, we heard, you know, we've tried these things. And so now we heard, you know, we could do this on LinkedIn or we could, um, you know, use this chatbot on Facebook or, we could, you know, I mean, it's just all insert the new trend, whatever it is that so-and-so is doing this. But the problem with those things with mimicking is that so-and-so may be doing that, but so-and-so may be losing their shorts on doing that. It may not be turning a profit for them. It may not be creating lead gen for them. So just because your competitor is doing it doesn't mean you need to be doing it too. You need to be doing it for your own, your own reasons. And above all else, is this going to be engaging? And so before we press send on any content, you know, we think, does, does our intended audience care about what we're about ready to post? Mm-hmm. And that will move us off this broadcast mentality and into serving and into engagement. Mm-hmm. And it does need to have an underlying agreement that we care and that we're helping. And I, I, I talk about this a lot. You and I are, are both friends with Kristen Luck. We joke around all the time about the old mentality, Zig Ziglar, always be selling, sell, 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 you know. And, but the new age of content marketing has begun. And for any kind of content or social media strategy, what it means is uh, always be helping. Mm-hmm. 
and you may not be the best solution for this, you know, client. Certainly we want to target the people that we think we are the best solution for, but what we have to do is get in our brains that we are here to help and to serve our ideal client persona. And if we do that and if we hold all of our motivations and all of our tasks captive to that concept, we will be rewarded with firm and sustainable lead generation process. What do you wish was just very frankly being discussed more in this space and that was was more openly on the table and that nobody was skirting around and was really just being discussed and debated and just hammered on over and over and over again um, that that really just either is is a constant misconception or just really doesn't get talked about and it's it's the elephant in the room that everybody's just ignoring Well, gosh, I think the elephant in the room is kind of what I say about the cocktail party. I don't think that companies get honest about the fact that they walk in and say in the first three minutes of a conversation, do you want to sleep with me? That's what they're doing when they connect with someone and then immediately jump to, can I demo this? Or, you know, um, can you meet on Thursday? Or this is what I do. One, two, three, this is what our company solves. What do you think? It's like, here's my system. Can you please jump into it? Can you, and it's like, man, you don't even want to work for it. (laughs) Connects with you on LinkedIn and 30 seconds later, you get a message pitching everything that they do. And would you like to have a call to talk about it? And it's so disingenuous and none of us like it. And I, you know, I think you were there the day I asked. So please raise your hand if you are planning to go this weekend and go to a used car lot, just look around and, you know, you're not in the market, but you just want to go there because you love the way that you just get sold from the moment that you walk on. Right. And everybody's just staring at me like, of course, we don't want to do that with our time. But we come into our roles and start doing marketing and act like that's going to work. People yeah. don't like to be sold. And, and this is a pet peeve of mine. People say all the time, well, I don't do marketing because I don't like to be salesy or selly, sell, sell, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, if you don't like to be salesy, then just do your marketing non-salesy. Right. <laughs> it's kind of like the most obvious thing, you know. Uh, it, you know, if you don't like to be salesy, then stop creating social posts that come off as self-promoting salesy and, you know, are, look like spam. Don't, you know, pump out your products and services and try and shove them down people's throats. Of course, that comes off as annoying. But people say, oh, marketing is annoying. No, you're annoying. (laughs) It's not marketing. (laughs) Marketing can also be beautiful and helpful and engaging and be of service. And I know that there are times when I have been contacted by someone and they say, hey, you know, what are the biggest problems, you know, you're facing? Now, they can't say that in the first three minutes of meeting me because that's very forward. But they could engage with me. Hey, I saw you speaking at, at this thing. This is so interesting. What do you think about this? You know, and start a conversation. People, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn and I write back to them. I'm sure they're shocked. I write back and say, sounds great. Would love to connect. What do you think we should talk about? Or, or sometimes when I see that I know, I mean, and I can see them a mile away. I know they're just connecting with me either to get to my other contacts or they're connecting to me because I'm about to get the sales pitch. And they want to connect and their, you know, LinkedIn message to me at the beginning will be basically, I want to see this, this, this. And like, and someone even wrote to me is like, well, what is the biggest thing you have to solve for a little bird this month, this, you know, this year? And I'm like, I wrote back to him. I'm like, I'm sorry, but that's incredibly forward. I share that with my close, you know, circle of friends. I'm not out of the blue 
you know, going to just take a message from someone else and lay out my, you know, my plans of what it is that I'm trying to tackle for a little, why, why, why would I do that? It, it, it makes no sense. And so, it, you know, it, people just make marketing like it's just so complicated, but honestly, they just need to stop doing behavior that they would not want done to them. It's horrible. Yeah, absolutely. And so it, it does not respect people. And when people are respected, they give respect back. I believe that respect is reciprocal by nature. And so I think if we go into marketing and go into content in a way that respects other people's time, respect other people's, you know, um, thought processes, it respects that people have problems, then we receive that respect back in spades. And so I guess my biggest thing that I feel like is not being discussed is that, you know, people keep wanting to put, you know, a, a bigger you know, um, the problems out there at sex. No, the problem's just us right here. This is what we need to solve and we need to do it better. And we need to think through our process and, and, and we need to solve for what we bring into marketing and rethink what, what it is we want to do. So that's to me kind of the elephant in the room. And sometimes, you know, people don't like me saying that. And if you look on my LinkedIn, it, instead of having the role of CEO of my company, it says that I'm an annoying truth teller who's powered by my husband's bread. <laughs> you know? And that's the truth. If you, if you don't want annoying, you know, truth bombs, then you really should not reach out to me. I think that's, that's great. You know what you're going to get. I mean, you, mm -hmm. every time that I, we've met and we've talked, you, you wear exactly who you are on your sleeve. There's mm -hmm. no pretense. Mm -hmm. uh, and like we talked about earlier, you don't make things overly complicated. You <laughs> down the simple. The simplest solution is usually the right one. Mm -hmm. And the strategies and tactics around that in order to execute. Right. And the second biggest thing, I would agree with what you said earlier, which is, and simple is not easy. Simple is incredibly hard. Mm -hmm. And simple, though, is a belief system that has to be honored. And so we are incredibly the number two thing here is that we are then incredibly process oriented. How do we create a process and a system that holds us accountable to that? And I say a hundred percent, I say it all the time to people. Um, I do not believe putting in putting pressure on people. I believe in putting pressure on systems. So mm. that is about the way I treat my employees. That is about the way I treat my clients. That is how I treat my clients' employees. That is how I treat, you know, our, our end users um, who are humans, by the way, no matter if you want to call them end users or consumers or clients or whatever, they are humans who are engaging with our products and services mm. and they need help. And so this idea of I am not going to then create a, a, uh, an environment where we're putting pressure on each other. We're going to agree about what needs to be done and we're going to build a system and then we're going to put the pressure on the system to work. And whenever we have a problem, we're going to stop and we're going to ask ourselves, okay, what system could we put in place that would keep this from happening? Just for example, go back to my big failure. What system, Priscilla, would need to be put in place so that you don't have to remember to check onto your personas and see if that's what's going on? No, every year now, we do a, a once over and say, is this still who we serve? And is this still who we serve best? And so now I'd have no pressure. It's not my fault in that sense that it failed, like it was just a, an amazing learning. And so now I don't have to worry about that problem again, because we are going to revisit our personas on a regular basis, lesson learned. And now there's no pressure on me or pressure on my team to remind me to do it. No, it's in the calendar. And that's what's going to be done. 
And so that is keep it simple, but put a system in place that maintains that simplicity. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating point. And honestly, I've never really thought about it that way. But as as you're talking, and I'm thinking about even the various pressures that I'm feeling today or right now or members of my team are feeling, those can really all be mapped to uh, a breakdown in or lack of some kind of a process. And when those <laughs> processes are in place, then you said it perfectly, the process bears the pressure and those executing are really just following along a process that's been well thought out and, and well executed. Oh, for sure. And okay, let, let's talk about market research world and how this applies. Okay. Like, so let me take your industry. Everybody spends so much money on trade shows and yet also has so much consternation and stress and uh, just uh, a confusion regarding trade shows. And I cannot tell you how many large companies I've come in and worked with only to find that they go, yeah, we go to that show. I'm like, yeah, I know you go. What's the plan? What's the strategy? Oh, well, we usually do this, this, this. And there's some rough outline in somebody's head about what we do. I'm like, why would you do that to yourself every time? And I can't even tell you how many times freebie I have just shared a basic list of them. Here are the things you do in a trade show three months mm -hmm. before. Here's what you do three weeks before. Here's you, what you do the three days you're there. And this is the list of the things you do for the three weeks after. And I mean, listen, we did that. We created that system one time. Now, I'm not saying the system is perfect for every trade show. For example, you might be going to that trade show and doing a different booth. You might be doing, oh, we're going to have a photo booth there for them, or we're going to do this interactive something. Okay, that's one or two items you're going to change on a checklist of about 78 items. I'd rather have that 78 item checklist go over into my project management system, copy it, bring it over and now assign the 78 different tasks to people and say to someone, hey, by the way, we're not doing one, two, and three because this one's a little bit different. Do you want to create 78 items or do you want to take 78 and, and take three off? Hmm. <laughs> that is a much better approach. And the, the, this is the, the huge takeaway I wish people would take. You don't have to have a little bird marketing for this, hmm. um, you know, is just saying, make your dumb checklist. We do it electronically and everything. And yeah, it's, it has bells and whistles. But in the end, the focus is not on the bells and whistles. The focus is on the simplicity of it. We do this thing. We go spend so much money, you know, going to Munich and going to R&R, &R, you know, um, mm -hmm. you know, or going to SMR or going to where, you know, whatever it is, the money is just falling out of companies' pockets with no accountability to what are the goals and how do those goals and how do those actions fit into the original strategy for the company's sales and marketing. And so when there's not that accountability, guess what? If that show doesn't go well, well, blame Susan. She went and did that show. So that's pressure hmm. on a person. Right. We shouldn't be putting a pressure on a person and say, well, you know, Susan ran that program exactly as we liked it, wanted her to do it. And that system didn't work. We shouldn't be doing those things. So next time we go to an event, Susan should do these things differently. Mm -hmm. And so we put the pressure on the system to produce the results. And we ask the system, what is wrong with this system that is not, you know, we're not getting the money, the ROI back from this show? Well, the answer may be eventually that it's, you know, that that show is not a good use of your time or money. But we can't tell that when we keep blaming a Susan and not blaming the system. 
this is what I love about this this podcast that I get to do here is we go off, I go off in directions with guests that I absolutely never expected. And I did not <laughs> think the greatest takeaways from this conversation was going to be educating people about the importance of process and relating that to alleviating some a lot of the stress and pressures that people are under and making work much more efficient and effective. But I, I really appreciate you taking us there because it's clearly something not that you just advise clients to do, but you are clearly living by that every day. Yeah, and it, this is the interesting thing about process and systems is that it is the only thing that you can tie directly to profit and it works equally as well when you're a tiny tiny company of one or two people to you know I work with companies that you know have 5,000 employees process and systems scale mm -hmm. and it's amazing you look you look back you know five years I, I think about processes and, and systems that I put in place five years there's you know, there's systems to our systems now, and it is just, it is a part of the beauty, and people look at us a lot of time, how did you grow so fast? How did you do this? And of course, we're connected with Chris, and look, I have this conversation with her at Scalehouse all the time. You know, how do people, people don't realize that it's not always the magic of this one person, this dynamic leader, this, you know, fine, they can think that about me, but I'm telling you, it's not that. It's because I have a team that is sold out to processes and systems and about scaling us in a way that makes sense you know, for our business and a way that they are not under the gun. They get to come and work at a place that they're not going to be under pressure, that they get mm -hmm. to what we call work your work job, not your worst job. <laughs> We're not mm -hmm. having referendums on, you know, somebody's value as a person. We're having referendums on the value of the system that we put in place. I think that's terrific. What, uh, what project management system do you use, by the way? Well, we built our entire IP called SOAR on, and we built it on Trello. And so we don't own Trello. We never created Trello. I'm good friends with the people of Trello, but um, we did that and it got actually ended up getting bought out by Atlassian because we, we chose it for a lot of reasons. First of all, it's free to the client um, and it's free for a lot of people up to a certain point. So any kind of a small company could use it without, again, take Little Bird off the table. The Trello will solve your problems. You can learn it in about five minutes and it's free. Now you want to create more than 10 boards and you want to do all kinds of other stuff. It's, you know, it, it goes up from there, but it is sure. not expensive for a solution. You're talking about, I think, you know, $12 a person a month or something, um, mm -hmm. but it is absolutely built to scale and it is absolutely built for organization and it is absolutely built for accountability. We have a stand-up meeting every morning. People can tell if their face is on a card, a task, a checklist, anything, and it is past due, they are accountable to their own you know, peers for that. Mm -hmm. um, and so it is a system that absolutely helps us run a very, very efficient, very tight ship. Um, so we built it on Trello. And, um, and so our source system lives on that. And, you know, we just shared that uh, board. Um, and then for marketing automation, we use, uh, we are a HubSpot shop. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for total accountability into a dashboard really being able to understand where sales and marketing are going. That's our number one choice. We do not have every client on that. That's not the solution for every client. So our SOAR system um, bends around the client's uh, needs and the client's goals. But in general, that's our, we always have Trello no matter what. That's where all mm -hmm. of our projects live. But beyond that, 
um, then it's, it really depends on what other systems we're bringing in to customize a plan that's going to work for the company. And just to kind of, you know, give a little bit of a, well, why would you do something differently? Some companies come to us because they're desperate for profit. Some people come to us because they're desperate and hungry for systems. And they have no, they're like, look, you know, our goal is not necessarily to even make profit on this. Our goal is to finally get freaking organized. Can you do that for us? Can we, we just have so many, we don't even know what question to ask yet. We're just, it's so chaotic. Okay, that's great. We can do that. But some of them come to us and say, we're amazing. Sales are great. We need to be prepared for the next downturn. And then lastly, some come because they say, yeah, things are fine, but we want to sell in five years. And we know that where we're at right now does not make us the most attractive. Can you come in and help us, you know, create just, you know, just, seal leaks all over the place. Let's seal the leaks so that we're incredibly attractive five years from now to be purchased. I will tell you, you are not the average marketing agency. By, <laughs> Can by I quote you, you on that? <laughs> yeah. By what you talk about and the fact that you look so far beyond what most would think of as quote marketing and you clearly realize that marketing touches every aspect of the organization internally and externally. But mm -hmm. I talk to marketing agencies all the time and nobody ever really goes in this direction mm -hmm. to this depth, but it's so well-rounded mm -hmm. and really helps a lot. I mean, it's, it's as much operations as it is, um, you know, outbound marketing. But right. when, when one thing isn't, when operations isn't aligned around marketing and sales and lead gen um, and it's all they think about are processes to keep the lights on mm -hmm. uh, an organization can never scale right at the at the heart of it dave i'm an entrepreneur <laughs> and so i i look at these problems and some of them are pretty wicked problems we gotta you know uh, untangle but at the end, I know what we're trying to do. I am motivated for, number one, making profit. There's no other reason that should be number one than you hire an agency than to eventually bring you profit. Maybe that's not the first goal for the first year. Like I said, people come with a few other things. But they're doing, unraveling that chaos in order to eventually make profit. So mm -hmm. we, you know, number one is the profitability. And then number two is, you know, a, a better way of coming to work, doing things that is more honoring to employees, doing things that are more honoring to your end user and developing something that everybody it's worthwhile to be working at. You know, we only get one life, one crack at this, and I want to be doing something of value to people. So, you know, those things have to, you know, we have to set whatever we're doing, marketing. I don't care if we're building a bike. I don't care if we're, you know, doing mergers and acquisitions. I don't care if we're speaking at conferences. What, you know, I don't care what you're doing in, in your life. The takeaway you can from this, are we putting it on a system that is bringing more value and is something that you want to show up for, you know, every day? And that, that is a mindset that I have. And I, I want to have these amazing conversations with clients. I can't always solve all the problems. You know, we end up in some deep conversations about things of what I can't solve their operational problems, but I can, you know, maybe infect them with some different mindsets to help them see how they are connected. Well, I love the direction that this conversation went in. Uh, I think <laughs> we're going to deliver a ton of value to those who uh, give us some of their precious time to listen <laughs> So I thank you for that. Before I let you go, I have a few um, lightning round questions for you. Uh oh, okay. The pressure's on. So I know you're very well traveled, and um, and you also love eating your husband's bread. But mm -hmm. aside from down to a big loaf for your husband's bread, if you could snap your fingers and have dinner at any restaurant in the world tonight, where would you end up? 
Oh my gosh, that's, that's a lot of pressure. And, and then I was thinking, I was going one direction, then you said dinner. Um, I would probably be, oh, deep in the heart of a, maybe a Moroccan Medina and have a dinner party with friends where, you know, we're, we have a chef, you know, who creates mm. maybe a traditional Moroccan stew that we're all, you know, eating communally and, you know, to me, it's like the whole, the whole thing. It's not about a specific menu per se, although it, there needs to be cilantro in this very good stew. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, this idea of like com coming together and just a great night of wine and savory food and a big table. And yeah, and I, I think a, a, a Moroccan evening would be well in order. I could do that. that. I could, I could that leave and do that tonight. <laughs> That's the first uh, time that answer has even remotely been given. Not only the type of food, but the notion. I mean, you are you are completely true to yourself. It's, you know, the fact that you're really thinking more about who you're with and what you're all doing and, and what you're eating is secondary. But just getting those people around the table, food you eat with your hands, just rolling up your sleeves and, and getting into it together. Absolutely. The food and wine only taste as good as the company you're having it with. So building upon that, again, I know you're very well traveled and you've had an eclectic life and been all over the place. Um, is there somewhere you haven't been to that's on your bucket list where you'd love to get to next? Hands down, Vietnam and Laos. I want to go there so badly. I want to be uncomfortable in, um, I don't know, I couldn't even possibly begin with the language uh, there. It's a culture I don't understand. Like I said, I'm a cultural anthropologist, but also I'm just so wanting to subject or what do I say, um, you know, my kids to that and get them to just see something just so outside of our world and just to be able to have these moments you get unexpected that you just see a beauty in a, a very deeply, radically different life that we have. And I, I, I just, I love those kinds of moments where you're just so stripped of everything that you know and you can just be present. And I, I, I want that for me, but I want that for my kids. I know my, my husband feels the same way. And that's just a beautiful area that I've just been dying to go. So my last question for you is, uh, as much as you love what you do, if you could try your hand at any other career, what, do you, what else do you think you would really enjoy doing that's completely different from what you do today? Oh, if we could tomorrow, my husband and I would be rally race car drivers. And I would be the, co I don't want to drive. I don't want to drive. I want to be the co-pilot. I'm great at maps. I'm an amazing navigator. I want the adventure that everything that happens when you break down and it all goes wrong is just the moments that life is about. And you have, uh, you have the most interesting answers to these questions. <laughs> I have to tell you. Now, if we couldn't do that, I think we would probably want to sail around the world. We're big um, sailors and uh, we'd like to be bigger. <laughs> we do as much as we can in the world that we have, but um, yeah, I'd love to work for like a Volvo Ocean Race or something like that. I'd even do their marketing. So put that out there. <laughs> anybody who works with anybody related to Volvo Ocean Race, absolutely. I want to take over their marketing and, and work day in and day out in that industry. So, but yeah, I, I think that'd be super fun. I love the, the more I hang out with my husband, the more I like him and 26 years and counting, I think we're doing okay. And uh, that kind of uh, adventure sounds amazing to me. Uh, I agree with you. Sounds like a ton of fun. Well, Priscilla, thank you so much for joining us today, um, taking us in surprising directions. <laughs> but, uh, 
Um, really, this is all uh, you talk about, you know, content marketing is all about helping and delivering value. And that's the only reason we do this show is we want to try to help and we want to try to enlighten people um, and give them some curious things to think about. And you have completely uh, embodied that for us. So uh, thank you so much for joining us and giving us some of your time. Absolutely. My pleasure. And thanks for making it so fun. 